Everyone has unforgettable moments in your lives, moments that are impossible to forget, memories that you have for a lifetime, some of them so absolutely wonderful and amazing, and some just terrifying, nightmares even. Jesus does some things on this uh, Thursday evening. He says some things that are absolutely unforgettable. In fact, we find that he says to his disciples, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. They will not know in this given moment the fullness of what is taking place, but later, on the other side of the cross, they will understand. And so will we. We live on the other side of the cross. So there are things that happened that evening with what Jesus said and did that he wants us to remember, that he wants us to understand. You could call this um, lessons from the upper room because we're going to look at two lessons from Judas, one big lesson from Peter, and one ultimate lesson from Jesus in the reflection that takes place in that upper room. We begin with Judas and that unforgettable betrayal. It's just unthinkable and inconceivable that one of the disciples would betray Jesus. We find in verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. The first lesson we learn from Judas is that Jesus wants us to understand that you are vulnerable to the devil's promptings. We're vulnerable as a people. You've heard me for many years around here talk about GPs, God promptings, but here we're introduced to DPs, devil's promptings, where there is um, a pressure that we feel, a persuasive voice that's seeking to tell us that my life should be about me, myself, and I. And we give our energy that way, and we leave God out, but the reality is I am God's. I am not my own. That all I have and all that I am is his. But pride and the devil's promptings will lead me to want otherwise, to believe that all that I am and all that I have is mine. And this is Judas's reality. We find that Judas has already made a pact with Satan, that he is going to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which is about 300 bucks. And it sure makes you think a little bit around your own vulnerability. I mean, what would you exchange your relationship with Jesus for? Money? Comfort, power, fame. We know that Judas is the bookkeeper for the ministry of Jesus. And the other scriptures reveal to us that he'd been taking money under the table, that he'd been stealing some of the ministry dollars and uh, coming out of the ministry account. See, Judas had heard, I mean, he knew what was right. He had heard Jesus speak at the Sermon on the Mount, those incredible words that where your treasure is, um, your heart will be there as well. So where your wallet is, your heart follows. And so Judas treasures the money more than Jesus. But Jesus wants us to treasure him more than the money because all that I am and all that I have is his. And so we find this reality of a vulnerability that we share. The devil prompts us to think otherwise, that it's mine and not his. I just want to make a sidebar here around betrayal. It's just so unspeakable that Judas would do that. But when you think about your own life, you've experienced betrayal along the way. 
and maybe even in the course of this last year. And the saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. Isn't that interesting? That betrayal is an abandonment, it's a violation of trust from those who generally are closest to us. It's the wife betrayed by a husband. It's the employee um, missing the promotion they thought they deserved and it didn't come to them. It's the secret between friends now made public. It's the promise to a child broken by a parent. And some of you may be hurting right now from maybe a betrayal in the past or maybe even recently. And it's really hard not to become angry and hate and to become bitter over an injury and insult. But Jesus met the greatest injury and greatest disloyalty with this incredible humility and this supreme love. We read about it in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's say something that I think is really important. It's hard to be right and not hurt people. And Jesus is always right, and he helps people. He even washes the feet of Judas, whom he knows is going to betray him. This is an extraordinary love, astonishing. The second lesson that we learn from Judas is that Jesus wants us to understand your belief may inform, but your life must transform. That is, in that room that evening, there are 11 unbelievers are 11 believers and one unbeliever, but they all think that they are believers. So when Jesus says that one of you will betray me, they can't figure that out. What do you mean? We are with you. We've been with you. No one here would ever consider betraying you because they thought they were all believers. It's interesting when you look in the New Testament and look up the name Judas, you will find that it appears 20 times. And when it's included in the list of the other disciples, it's always the last name and Peter is always the first name. It is this reminder of uh, mixed allegiance that you find from the disciples. Was Jesus a good friend to Judas? Yeah. Did Jesus love Judas? Yeah. Did Jesus um, serve Judas, meet his needs? Yeah. Did Judas hear Jesus teach? Yeah. Did Judas watch the miracles unfold? Yes. No, Judas has the greatest privileged place in all of history. He spends three years at DU, Discipleship University. And Jesus is his master teacher. Everything that he learns comes from the lips of Jesus himself. And the questions that he asks get answered by Jesus himself. And the labs are all done out in the field. He watches the miracles unfold. Extraordinary. You know, it's interesting because um, I've heard this far too many times. Some people will say, I don't believe that Jesus is who Jesus says he is, son of God, savior of the world. I don't follow him, but if I met him, if I heard him teach, if I watched him work, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Jesus shoots holes through that thought. 
We know that even the demons knew the truth of Jesus, but their allegiance was not to him. Now, Judas had the very best seat in the house. He got to hear Jesus teach. He heard Jesus call him by name. He watched Jesus perform incredible miracles. And he betrays him with a kiss. He gives him over to be executed. And then he goes and he hangs himself. It's just utterly tragic what unfolds. See, getting great Bible teaching and sitting under the best Bible teacher is simply not enough. You have to believe it and receive it. The scripture says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Like, I'm reading the Bible. I'm understanding what's in this given word, the scriptures. It says, do what it says. So Judas's problem was not information. It was transformation. In fact, belief may inform, but you must be transformed. You must have an allegiance with Jesus. It begins to shape you from the inside out. Are you being transformed? That will be the affirmation that indeed you are one of his believers. That's Judas. But we find betrayal in Peter as well, an unforgettable refusal. When Jesus comes to Simon Peter to wash his feet, he resists, he refuses. We see it in verse six. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter always goes over the top. So we find this big lesson from Peter that Jesus wants us to understand is that Jesus makes you clean. That our defected default is that we think we make ourselves clean. And Jesus says, I will make you clean. And, G and, and Peter says, you will not wash my feet, which in essence is saying, I will make myself clean, which is religion. We just find ourselves thinking that we will somehow cleanse ourselves, make ourselves right with God by getting our life together and we never quite get it together. That's religion. No, are there times in your life when Jesus comes to you to serve you and you say no? Because you feel unworthy. Um, get other things to do. It's just really hard to receive. It's just easier to give. It's hard to let Jesus wash your feet um, because for Peter, it's a bit embarrassing. It's awkward. It's unacceptable. The most common reason offered to explain why Jesus is washing feet is that he's teaching us to be humble and to serve others, that we would be foot washers as well. But you know, that's really the shallow end of the pool of understanding what's taking place here. While humility and service are clearly lessons that we learn from the upper room and from Jesus and his way of living, there's a deeper, more profound lesson that we must not miss, that Jesus um, wants to be sure that we understand. And the deeper level of understanding is found in Jesus' um, response to Peter's refusal. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So clearly, Jesus isn't talking simply about washing feet. He's saying, your soul has to be cleaned. And I can do that. You can't do that, but I can do that for you. I will make you clean. 
So the simple act of washing feet is to show that unless they be washed away of their sins, they cannot experience what it means to be part with him, part of him, to have a relationship with him. His washing feet points us to this very core of our salvation, of grace and the forgiveness that allows us to enter into this beautiful right relationship with the living Christ, which is why we're told in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the one who makes you clean. You can't do it yourself. So yes, be humble. And yes, serve the needs of others because it reflects the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life. But the main lesson Christ was giving and fulfilling was that unless he washes us, unless he cleanses us from all of our impurity, we will not understand or experience the relationship or the salvation that he has in mind for us. That's why Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2.8 that we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. It is not of your works, lest you should boast, because he knows we'll boast. We'll start to think that we can clean ourselves and get right with him. We cannot. Jesus makes us clean. So let us allow Jesus. Let's welcome Jesus to make us clean. So where do you align so far in terms of response? More with Peter or with Judas? We find that Judas is covert and Peter is overt. That Judas has this way of always hiding and Peter has this way of just wearing everything on his sleeve. And Judas finds himself wanting to do it his own way and Peter is always longing to do it Jesus' way. I just love this about Peter. Peter always got it right the second time. And I think that's why we love Peter so much, is that if there's hope for Peter, there's got to be hope for us. And Jesus wants us to understand this beautiful cleansing that comes to us. Oh, we learned so much from Judas. Two beautiful lessons there. A great lesson from Peter, but there is the ultimate lesson from Jesus. He wants us to understand that Jesus dies the degrading death of a slave to serve you. Very personal. That Jesus' foot washing act really begins to make sense now. That Jesus does what nobody else will do. He will wash feet like a slave. And the disciples themselves will not get down and wash feet. That's why they're struggling that their master, their teacher is washing feet. But he'll do that. And then Jesus will do what nobody else can do. He'll go to the cross to die for his friends as a slave. But one who washes us clean. No one else can do that. Jesus takes the position of a slave. He serves like a slave. He washes the feet of his disciples of the slave because ultimately he's preparing to die a degrading death like a slave. And so we find that he moves from the upper room into the garden and then down into that trial experience over to Calvary to experience the cross and crucifixion. And crucifixion is just utterly brutal. And even the way it begins sends chills down your back when people begin to yell. There's just a frenzy by the crowd. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It just unnerves me to even imagine what that scene was like. And then they bind him and they begin to spit on him and push him away and put him in a place where they mock him and 
They come alongside of him, slap him again and again, and then they take a thorn of crowns and they place it on his head and they penetrate it right into his, his, his scalp and he bleeds. And then they scourge him. They take a whip, this wide strap of, of beaded bits of bones and stones and metal, and they just, they just whack him again and again. And they pull and rip out hair from his beard, and they beat him again and again and again and again. How people can watch such a thing is just utterly amazing to me. And then we find that he's forced to carry this cross through those narrow rows of Jerusalem, getting to Calvary, and they lay that cross down, they put his body on it, and nails are driven through his hands and his feet. And he's lifted up and put into that hole and speared, and they crucify him, crucify him. It's too much to take you. And even then, on the cross, in the greatest of suffering, he loves. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a love this is. You know, before we can understand the great news of who Jesus is and what he does for us, we have to understand the really bad news of who we are and what we've done to him. And part of this whole experience of coming together on Monday 30 is just to remember and to own the reality that we and our sin put him on that cross. So it has been our tradition to own that together by saying three times the phrase, my sin did it, join me. My sin did it. My sin did it. My sin did it. The Bible says that we are by nature um, enemies of God because we are sinners. That is, we all start in the same position as Judas. And God loves enemies. And he takes his enemies, and he makes his enemies family. That's how wonderful Jesus is. So he gets up out of the seat. He goes on bended knee to serve Judas. But you know the real truth, I hope. He got up off of the seat, got on bended knee to serve you. And we find that he serves Judas on the cross, but you know it to be true. He goes to the cross to serve you. He pours water over Judas, but you know the truth. He's pouring his blood out for you. That's what we have. Jesus dies our death. He completely washes us from head to toe in order to wash us clean of our sin. He cleanses us from all. All unrighteousness so that we can know that in fact we can be with God. We can be loved and we can live. And that's the purpose behind it all. Love does it all. In 1 John 4 verse 10 we read it this way and I'm going to invite you to join me in the reading of this. This is love. Not that we loved God but he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amazing. I love taking in this text because in the end, we know that the only reason for the cross is because of God's love. There's no other explanation. I mean, we can't deserve it. We, we don't earn it. We simply receive it. We receive it. We receive it. What a gift. We just get to receive it. I have some good news for you. Jesus is still serving people today. Isn't that good news? He's still making enemies and turning them into friends. 
But this is his heart's desire for you and for me. And some of you say, well, he hasn't looked at me because what I have done is so absolutely horrible. He would never look at me. Jesus is willing to serve you, friend. And some of you think, I have such overwhelming needs. There's nobody that could meet these needs, but Jesus is willing to serve you. Or some of you say, you know, I have been away from the Lord. The only reason I'm even here is because somebody invited me to come, but I've ignored him. I really haven't paid much attention. I've had a lot of things going on in my life, and Jesus is willing to serve you. You're here. It's just we have to welcome the service. We need to invite him to wash our feet. Let him do so and wash our souls and make us clean. And I love that Jesus is still serving people today. I want to be served by him, don't you? Every Monday, Thursday when we come, I hear stories of people who renew their faith. Some who place their faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. So we have prayed that the Holy Spirit might be prompting you to that given end. And I want to just invite you as we come to the table to receive the bread, a picture of Jesus coming into the world, into our messy backyard. And we receive the cup, a picture of Jesus going onto that cross, pouring out his blood to cover our sins so that we could be right with God. That if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you to renew your faith, to come back to him, or perhaps to say yes and welcome him making you clean for the first time that you would do that even now. And you can do so by simply offering this prayer that I offer to you. I'll give you time to reflect on it as well. But would you join me and let us pray? Lord, what love, what love. I come to you in humbleness of heart, knowing that I have wandered so far from you. I confess my sins And I ask for your forgiveness for my foolish ways and my inconsiderate actions. Wash me clean, Lord, I pray. Cleanse me of my sins. Make me new. Thank you that though my sins are many, they are placed on the spotless Lamb of God who took the punishment that I justly deserved And unworthy though I be, thank you that I have been clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness. I am declared justified in him by grace, through faith. I receive your love. I welcome the beauty that you can make me clean. I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.